Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon for another episode of Breaking the Guard with me and my co-host Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we talk about struggling. Not just that we're struggling to film podcasts on a regular schedule, but the actual act of struggling, whether that means from losing, defeat, or suffering great loss, and how we're being deprived of that a lot in modern society where there's participation trophies from first to 20th place, and there's even like child sports that won't even score goals because they don't want one of the teams to feel like they're losing. And these are just trivial losses. And if you're not prepared to cope with a trivial loss, how are you going to deal with a real loss later in life? So we go into detail on that and some life experiences both Rob and I have had encountering loss. And I think it's a, it'll be a good episode if you're struggling with struggling. <laughs> All right, so go ahead and tune in, and I hope you guys enjoy. Before we get started, I'd like to mention one of our sponsors, which is BJJRetreat.com. BJJRetreat.com is your destination for a vacation. Uh, well, we say a trainingcation or traincation, right? Where you get to train jujitsu and enjoy a vacation at the same time. I'm going to be going to Costa Rica from April 9th to the 16th. And uh, it's going to be a week long of awesome training in beautiful Costa Rica and Tamarindo. If you were with me last time, uh, it was a wonderful time. We got to hang out at the beach, ride ATVs, go on a cruise, and of course, get a lot of great training in. So uh, if you're down for a good time, go ahead and visit BJJRetreat.com. We have an early bird special that ends on January 31st. So we're coming up on the deadline. Uh, I think it's 25% off or 30%. It's ridiculous. It's a really good deal. Okay, and for those of you who are worried about traveling during COVID and all that, we have things taken care of. Uh, our guy on the ground, Ron, he's been doing camps throughout this period safely without any incident. Uh, the particular area hasn't been affected much, if not at all, from what I've heard. And they have a testing protocol there. So uh you'll be able to get tested beforehand and afterwards and they had the resources to take care of you so uh they got a handle on it so go ahead visit bjjretreat.com and you can learn all about it hey guys what's going on i'm david avalon here with my co-host robert drysdale for another edition of breaking the guard it's been a while, but once again, we it's have funny. these longer hiatus. I know, man. You know, it's funny. Someone messaged me, hey, man, when are you and Dave going to put out another episode? <laughs> it's been since, like, whatever, December, early December, like over a month ago. I'm like, oh, shit. Someone's noticing, uh, which is flattering. I'm glad you guys enjoy the, I mean, originally, I think we started once a week, and then life got crazy after COVID, really, and then it kind of slowed down. It did, and... You've been, I know I was traveling, then you're traveling, yeah. and then you were just in Brazil, right? Or Yes, yeah. I just got back. I was there for Christmas and New Year's. Nice. It was a nice, but I hadn't been there since we filmed the documentary, so it was three years ago. And uh, it was a nice break, man. See some friends, you know, kind of like, it's funny, like time goes by, but the people who were, you know, your, you know, your, your, the, the heart friends, like the real friends, the same, same thing, man. Like nothing's changed. All this time goes by. I got I caught caught up with some people I hadn't seen in over twenty years. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, like childhood friends, man. Like, they were, you know, it was amazing. It was such a good trip. It was kind of like, you know, I've been, you've been, you're in work mode, and sometimes you forget about other things. Like, you forget about who your friends really are because you're just in work mode, right? And it's nice to remember that you still have, you know, have such a large circle of friends around me. So the trip was good for that. I feel very, very fortunate to be surrounded by amazing people my whole life, man. Nice. Yeah. And I think I was in Florida for a couple of weeks, or like eight days. Did some more training camps for the NRA. Yeah. Um, rifle, shotgun, chief range safety officer certified. So the training, what are you doing? Are you, are you training to train people or just getting oh, certified? Both. As... Yeah. So okay. I, I had those certifications. I can now teach courses under them. So yeah. just set up a new business here for firearms instructing. So yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, You're doing that? Yep. Oh, yep, shit, yep. man. So that's going to be fun. I don't know. I've done some training. I think, I, I don't know if I told you this before, like when I first moved to Vegas, there was this guy who was former Special Forces, and he was trying to put a TV show together where he was going to get professional fighters to compete in like war games against like Navy SEALs. <laughs> and his job was to train us because he believed we had the athletic ability and the mindset. We just lacked what? The technique. Yeah. We had no skills, right? So the idea was we had like a, it was like a four-week, that was a TV show, four weeks to train us so we can compete against Navy SEALs. Of course, we we're going to get destroyed, but I was like, shit, man, it's a TV show. Like, I've, I've never held, a, at that point, I never held a gun in my life. So we got trained with the Glock and the AR-15, and uh, it was like lots of training, but they never actually got on with the show, which I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah. But it was like me, Frank Mir, Forrest... Martin Campman was there. It's like a few of us. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> very top tier. Yeah, no, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, at the time I think I had just I had one professional fight, but I was around those guys all the time, so yeah. they got me in there. So I'm like, shit, I'll do it. So we got to fire tons of rounds in the desert. That was like my first experience with with a gun. I had tons of fun, but the yeah TV show never took off. Oh, that sucks. Man. Yeah. It's fun shooting, man. Like I have fun yeah. with you. Know who loves it is Marcelo. He goes oh, out yeah, every weekend. Uh, He's I, I went with him and Ken. Ken is really yeah. into it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a blast. Unintended. I, I have fun with it, man. Like I, I think that uh, uh, I know people that do it competitively. I think it's, I mean, I, I, I could see the skill. It's a lot harder than it seems. Oh, you think for it's sure. not like a video game? We, it's man. It's there's a lot to it, like the distance and controlling the breathing and. Especially yeah. when depending on if you. Doing moving targets and whatnot, like yeah. uh, when you're doing shotgun, you do like qualifications yeah. with a. Uh, the clay pigeons, you know, so they call it trap shooting. Yeah. So you have essentially what they call a trap house in the middle, and your people are standing like in a semicircle, almost like a cone, and then you just fire the, the clays. And it's funny because the guy who was teaching us was saying, "Look, you know, I'm a he's actually like he's a state champion in Florida for sharpshooting, but he's he sucked at the trap house because he was always trying to aim exactly where it was. But the problem is, it's not going to hit there because it's moving by the time you pull the trigger." So what's interesting with, with those uh, clay shooting or trap shooting, you have to lead the target. And it's more instinctual because you essentially you have to get the shot within a second. After the second, it starts getting too far away from you and then you're not. But you have to be ahead of the shot because it's yeah. going to move. Yeah. But like, what's interesting about that, it's more instinctual than anything. Like, you just boom and you shoot. Like the, the shots that actually, the clays that surprise you seem to be easier to shoot if you're allowing your instincts to kick in. Kind of like in jujitsu, if you overthink something, it becomes yes. clumsy. Yes. You know, so you could see like there were some people struggling, 
because they were thinking too much. They were trying to like, Ugh. yeah. And you can't. You don't have time. It's literally like a second, probably a little bit less of a second before you can get the good shot off. You know. So it's just like, boom. you know, you know, it's funny. Like I, I, you know. I've taught beginners my whole life, but I just got back to teaching beginners like maybe a year ago. I had moved away from it for a long time. And I re remember like how hard it is to teach someone to pummel. Just pummeling. If you've never <laughs> pummeled before, try to explain pummeling to someone. They're like, it's so confusing to them. So I, I actually, then I, I remember this is the easiest method because that's how I like to learn stuff myself is I don't, I don't read rule sets. I don't want to be like, if I get a board game, I'd rather just kind of get into the game and start playing and then learn the rules as I go than spend like an hour reading the rules because you're not going to remember them anyway. So pummeling, was, I said the same way. Like, you know what? I'm just going to have these two white belts and I tell, all right, there's a game here. What you got to try to do is get both your arms underneath their armpits and you got to try to do the same, okay? Okay, ready, set, go. Boom, right away, bro, pummeling. So it's like the body is smarter than we give it credit for. Like yeah. if you actually get competitive, you figure it out. But the second people start overthinking, wait, right over left, over the arm, under the arm, it's too much information. Sometimes the best way to teach people is let the body do its thing. And, and you correct them as you of go, course. right? But I, I, I'm with you, man. I think that overthinking is, is a big... This is why I have a theory in jiu-jitsu. May, you may or may not agree with me. People that are very like very, very OCD, very anal about stuff, have a harder time like grasping new techniques because when they're training, they want everything to be absolutely perfect. Like the perfect, like they, they want it to be exactly how they learned it, right? Yeah. And we all know that in a fight, you kind of work with what you got. Things are rarely perfect. Very rarely you're gonna have that perfect position with the perfect grip, exactly how you practiced it. You should aim for that, but sometimes you don't get that, what do you do? Just work with what you got, improvise it, keep going. Because I, I, I noticed that people that have that mindset, they spend a lot of time thinking about, what do I do, what do I do, what about this, but the position is not right, what do I do? And they're trying to remember moves. And while you're doing that, everything's just being slowed down. You're better off just, just move forward and kind of figure it out as you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always say, you know, thinking is the bastion of somebody who's unprepared. Right? Yeah. If you're prepared, you never have to think. You, you just, just go. You just go. Yeah. And like, like you said, especially when you're trying to think and if, you, if I'm in a fight and I have to think of, I know I goofed. And I've, I can remember situations where I got stuck. One of them was with Galvao. It was the last like 20 seconds of the match. He shot a double. I locked down the Kimura trap, flipped him. I had his back temporarily, then he rolled over, and then I ended up in the lockdown. But he had like a really good grip and I couldn't break it. And I was fixated on just doing one thing, which is trying to rip out the Kimura. I forgot about doing the arm bar or sweeping him. But I just kept thinking, how do I break his grip to open up this arm wow. to the Kimura? And Amaro was like 20 seconds just yeah. stuck in that one thing, you know, like if I could have just like switched gears, you know, and yeah. allowed myself to open my mind a little bit. But you can get jammed that way. You know, and anytime you, like you said, you think, you're in trouble. You know, that's what, that's what the coach is there for, right? Yeah. Like your coach is the guy thinking. He's the one on the outside that has the luxury of time. Like, hey, I can, he's trying to do something, he's stuck. What can I tell him? That's the ideal work? relationship. But yeah. it's, and I, we, we, we discussed this before, but the dynamic when you're a business owner changes because now it's a client. You don't get to yell, talk shit to your students. You, know, you lose a student. <laughs> Collegiate wrestling coach just does whatever the hell he's going to do. If you're an Olympic coach, even a professional team, you have a lot more authority. So as a result, you get to tell people what to do. It's like, motherfucker, you got to trust me. If I tell you to jump, you say how high. Because you're right. Because what your coach should be doing in a fight is not watching you. It's watching your opponent. 
You're looking. So if I, I, I want you so well trained. If I'm coaching you, I want you so well trained, so well prepared that I don't have to tell you what to do because we spent the last three months talking about it. Yeah. And I know you're going to do it. So I don't have to look at you. I don't have to remind you to put your fucking hands up. I want to look at your opponent. What is your opponent doing? So I want to focus on him instead. And then I can tell you, okay, this is where the openings are, right? You know, I don't have to keep reminding you like, hey, more footwork, move that head, you know, watch the timing for this, shot, do this. Because if you're doing that, you're, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're putting a lot of energy into something that you could have discussed, could have planned, could have figured that out during camp. And I think exactly. a lot of people miss that. They think camp is just about getting in shape. Camp is preparing for where the fight's going to take place. Because once I know your skills and I know mine, we know where no man's land is. Once we have that no man's land, we know exactly how to prepare. You put it right? really well. The whole thing is, as a coach, and this is why people are like, oh, I don't have a game plan. I just walk in there. Well, then you're making your coach's job a nightmare. That's insane. <laughs> when I hear like... that, I'm like, dude, you better be really fucking good. Because if you're going to walk in there without a plan, I mean, you better be three, four levels above your opponents. But not even that. Just what you mentioned. From the coach's perspective, now I have to watch you because I don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. But like you said, if the athlete trusts a coach and like, okay, we developed this game plan, you're going to follow it. You say, I don't have to watch him. I know what he's doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or what he should be doing. Yeah. You know, now, like you said, I just watch the other guy. And we had an idea of what he could do, but yeah. there's always going to be some variations. Exactly. That's the tweaks that we make. That's yeah. the code. The coach's job is to find where are the variations. Like, where are what is it that we missed during camp? Yeah. What is he doing different? Because I'm sure he's got some tricks up his sleeve. So when this guy comes back, what is it? Is it the head movement, the footwork that's changed? Maybe he changes stances. He's throwing more side kicks. And then we have to make those changes during what? The round. Because the athlete should not be paying attention to that he should just be like listening to new instruction in the corner or you know like or throughout the fight or during or you know in between rounds and then he goes back to with a whole new mindset not questioning for a second which what the coach says i i say this to my students sometimes like the more competition oriented ones if for a second here some of you guys don't trust me anymore you got to find a new coach yeah 100 percent for your own sake if you don't trust me if you don't think i know what i'm talking about you gotta go somewhere else because the second that trust is lost, as a competitor, if your practitioner doesn't, it's just different because you're not looking at, you know, from perspective of winning, trying to have fun. But if you're a competitor or a professional fighter, I mean, you have to trust your coach with your life. Yeah, that's you what know? it is. Because, yeah. you, you know, in the worst case scenario, you could die in there. Yeah. yeah, you're giving him advice. That was wrong advice. <laughs> By the way, walk into that left hook, okay? Yeah, He's not yeah. going to knock you out. Don't worry about it. You're good. Yeah, you <laughs> it's the wrong advice. <laughs> yeah, the way you see it, you can literally yeah. die in this thing, you know? So yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, and you, if you don't have that, like, I've let fighters go for that reason. They start saying, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I'm like, well, it's not working anymore. Yeah. Because the moment that you feel you know better than me, or in the other words, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, the trust is out. It's over. We got to move on from that point. You know what? I, I was starting to get an MMA team off the ground. Marcel is kind of picking it back up again. But it I, I got frustrated because Vegas has a very distinct culture when it comes to training. Very transient. It's yeah. very transient. There's, it's like that. Oh, it's like, folks, if you're in collegiate wrestling and you want us, you know, train with whoever you want, like, I kind of get it. There's nothing on the line, right? You're talking about professional fighting here where there are millions on the line. There's a career on the line. You're going to be training with your opponents. You're training with people who train with your opponents. You're letting anyone walk in the gym. That, to me, is not a team. That's strange to me. Like, oh, I go to five different gyms to get my workout. I'm like, that's weird to me. I've been, I've been in fights where my coaches didn't meet until the day of the fight. 
they never even spoke to each other. So to me, like, that's kind of how Vegas is. It's a very strange place because there's no team. I try to change that, but it's an uphill battle because it's so ingrained in the culture that you look at you like you're trying to be a dictator. Like, dude, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to give you structure because if you look at the people who are true champions, if you look what's behind them, look behind Khabib, look behind Conor, look behind the guys at the very, very top of the sport. They have a network of, of a team that supports them. And it's not like not everyone is allowed in that circle, man. Right. Try to go to Eagles in MMA in Dagestan and see if you can just walk in and practice. Yeah. Guaranteed they're not going to let you. Just walk in and watch him train. No way. That's the way it should be. You know, in professional sports, it's like that. The Eagles don't get to watch, you know, this, uh, you know the Raiders practice or whatever. You know, you don't, you don't get that luxury, man. Like, you can, you know, you can't walk in. If you're, from, if you're not from the camp, you're not welcome here. It's simple. Yeah. It's very political, but at the same time, like, it's, that's professional. It has to be that way. You know, I... And you know, I know in jiu-jitsu circle, people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're so preoccupied with the politics. But yeah. no, like you said, there's people's livelihoods on the line. Yeah. And like I said, once again, people could die from this. Yes. Right? So yeah. like, I've had this happen because our school is very strict on that. You know, like if, you're a, if you're a casual, you know, then yeah. do whatever you want. Right? But if you're a competitor, and particularly a professional competitor, and you're going to be training at the other gym... And then they see what you're doing, and you're gonna inevitably teach something to somebody or show. Oh, you did this to me. What do you do? That guy then fights one of our guys, beats him with that. Yeah. Or knocks him out with it, or you know, it can be bad stuff. You know, so it makes no sense to do that. You know, so yeah, it's some people feel like they have to train with everybody so they can see all these different possible experiences. That's not true. It's not true. It's a myth. Uh, it's, it's I it, from my experience. You do, if you have like, sometimes like three or four solid partners, that's more than enough, man, plenty. I've, like some of my best years were training, it was just like me, Marcel, and like two other guys in my hometown in Brazil. Or sometimes, sometimes I was traveling to Sao Paulo by myself, it was just me and Damien for months. Yeah. And we would go into war. But like, I, I felt that those moments were the ones where like my game took the next level because if I find myself having a problem, let's say I can't pass so-and-so's half guard, you're going to be in that half guard every day. For, you know, if you're going to do five, six rounds with the same person, you're spending 40 minutes in the same position. Guess what happens? Eventually, you have to figure it out because you're going to be there all the time. Yeah. So your defense and your offense in that position go like this, skyrocket. Now, oh, it's boring. I want to have train because I want to test myself against a bunch of people. It's like, you can, but that's a curiosity. Yeah. And a lot of times these cross trainings, like, I'll be honest with you, it has nothing to do with training. It's socializing. They want to hang out. They want to like they measure one, you know, the pecking order. They want to find out who everyone sits. And it's a lot of pictures for Instagram. They're not serious about training, because if you watch the people who are serious about training, they they're in the gym twice a day. They don't have to go anywhere else. They're already yeah. training twice a day. You know. No, I, I mean I was in the same boat for most of my competitive career. Yeah. Me and my brother. Yeah. We started our own gym, and then every so often, people, you know, we would fly people in. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you need a new look, particularly let's say you're fighting a southpaw, you're fighting someone yeah. who's really tall, and you yeah. don't have someone in the gym, coach, yes. bring them in. Yeah, we've done that for you know all of our guys. I did for myself. I know for Jason. We'll fly people in, have them spend a couple of weeks, because all you need is just some experience getting acquainted with how it is like to fight something like that. You know what I mean, and then you you pick it up. And if you need more, compete. Yeah, <laughs> no, hundred percent. more looks. Yeah. Just go to Naga, go to you know, no, IBJJF, compete. But but people have this thing where like if I'm surrounded by a bunch of 
champions. I'm going to be like one. And that is true if they're all on the same team and care about you. I believe that the higher the quality of the room, the better. But if these people don't give a shit about you and they're not really helping, not really teaching you, and then they hurt you in practice because they don't have any affiliation to you, then, I mean, is that really helping? You create these toxic environments and then you get the clicks. You know, you go to some gyms, you get the Hawaiians, and then you get the Brazilians, and then you get the Mexicans, and you get and you get all these clicks. And I'm going, dude, like, I don't want to be in an environment like that. I hate those kind of environments because I feel like it's not, it, they're not helping me grow. Like, they're in the way of my growth because I want to be in a place where everyone likes me, everyone wants me to do well, and when I fight, everyone's on the edge of their seat, like, cheering for me. Not going to a place where half the people in there are so jealous of you, they see you as enemy, they see you as a competition. They want you to lose. Do you really want to be in a place like that? So nurturing a team environment is incredibly healthy. I think it's good for the athlete because there's a huge factor in fighting that no one likes to talk about because everyone's supposed to be a tough guy. But it's the emotional side. It's super important. Fighters are, they're, they're, we're humans, man. We're not robots. Yeah. You want to have a support network of people who love you and care about you. And that does something to your confidence. Like I've experienced both. I've had that and not had that and I feel different. Like having the people like just your teammates, your coach are like, man, you're gonna do this. You know that you know that when you fight, everyone's at home watching. That gives you a lot of strength, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if you know that you're in camp, and half the people in the gym want you to lose, and you know deep down that they don't give a shit about you. Like, they'd be, you know, they'd be happy if you lost. I mean, you. What kind of energy do you have when you walk through the door? Yeah. You know, it's a it's a major trial to get on the mats or get in the cage and yeah, yeah. if you're going solo or you yes yeah it's the man the last competition i did was ibjf worlds i went by myself it's, horrible it's terrible it went horrible it's terrible and yeah. it was simple stuff I, I was totally unfocused you know why yeah. because i got on the mats and then they're like oh you're wearing the wrong shorts because ibjf you have to have this yeah i'm like crap you're gonna get disqualified. Oh, you have to go get the sports. So I had to run, get my wallet, and then buy some shorts, and then put them on, and run back on the mats. And I was more concerned about getting DQ'd. And then when I got on the mat, I remember I, I was kept getting stuck in like 50-50s, and the guy was straight yeah. ankle locking me. And I was like, the whole time, I'm like, I should be more concerned about this. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not. You know. Yeah. I was just so distracted, and yeah. having a coach is somebody that slaps you in your face. Like, hey, you know, they take care of that. Yeah. Yes, you know, management and, and stuff. So, especially if you have someone you trust, you want to make them proud. You know, like it doesn't have to be, I mean, a coach is probably that father figure, but it could be your kids too. It could be your wife. It could be, I've seen fighters like take their wives and like I wouldn't because she's probably not going to give me much good advice. But for <laughs> yeah. some people it works, man. Maybe yeah. it's like the emotional support. This person is, and I have been in many dark places in my life and this person was there for me and they brought me back together. Right, yeah. and then you want that kind of person in your corner. I'm like, you know what? Like Frank Mir would always bring his dad. Now his dad was just watching the camp. He never opened his mouth. He was just there. But it's his dad, man. Yeah. So he would bring him along. I'm like, that makes perfect sense to me. I think he just wants like his dad. He wants the last person he hugs before he goes into a cage is his dad. And his dad tells him, maybe I love you, son. You're gonna do great. And to that right there might be, that might be what's missing for a lot of people is just knowing that you have that sort of. Uh, um, you know, love and support from, from people you know that matter. I think a lot of fighters are too proud to admit that and they end up surrounding themselves with people who don't have their best interests at heart and that harms their career more than they're willing to admit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just take a look at Khabib. 100%, man. Stepped away from the yeah. game. Was, you, yeah. you, you say that when he goes to UFC PI, he closes that. There's a cage area there. He close shuts it off. Like, yeah, yeah they, they, they block it. And you can't watch. So you can be around, but if the mats are just theirs and no one can watch, it's him getting ready for his fight with his teammates, no one around. 
Oh, but I, that's true as well. But I was saying just with the father. You know, although his father was his coach. Yeah. Also, just losing the dad made him not want to fight. Yes, yes. That was his support. Yeah, you're right. You know, because you're ultimately, right. at the end of the day, like you're saying, when you're fighting, you're out to prove something. Yeah. That's what competition is about. It's about proving. Now, most, whether you're trying to prove it to yourself, which ultimately it's going to be about, but there's also other people, like you said, like yeah. family, friends, coaches, you know, and if you lose those people or don't have them on your back, you have a lot less to prove now. Yeah, that's a good point. I think he, yeah, he was trying to prove, I don't, I don't know his biography at all. I, I just, I love the guy because, you know, he says something, I don't agree with everything, but he, I think he's an outstanding fighter, but I've seen him do stuff that to me is like very manly, man. Like you stand up to when Zubair was fired, was going to get fired. And he's like, you fire him, you're going to have fired me. That's badass. I mean, wrestling a bear when you're a kid, that's pretty badass too, man. <laughs> so you can, you can see that. Yeah, he's, he's an overall badass, man. Like I really admire the guy. Um, but there might have been, I think, yeah, you're right. Like his, he was doing it to, like he wanted to make his dad proud. I think that theme was certainly a big part of his, um, his incentive to fight. I imagine he has kids by now, so that kind of changes you too. Like I remember after sure. having kids, all of a sudden brain health was far more important than a UFC belt. If I had to choose healthy for the next 40 years of my life, UFC belt, I would rather be healthy. Yeah. Whereas when I was 20, like, are you kidding me? UFC belt all day. <laughs> you don't care. Yeah. You don't care. Like, UFC belt, I could die the next day. Perfectly happy with that. Yeah. You, when you have kids, you look at things differently. You can't die after you win a UFC belt. I got kids to take care of. So you're, you're, all of a sudden, the most important thing in the world is no longer your career. It's taking care of other people, right? Or your kids. But, yeah, that's the emotional side is something I've always been fat. I've always been, like, somewhat aware of it. Because I used to be, I used to shit my pants before my fight. Like it was, it was very, very difficult. I, I, I was pushing myself into the cage every single time, right? Um, and I think that I, I did better. It was easier when I felt I had the right people with me. It made all the difference. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And uh, that's why I always tell people you should never go without a coach. It doesn't matter how bad you are or how good you are. Yeah. Should always have someone in your corner, even if it's someone like it's like you said, just a mom or dad that doesn't know anything about fighting. But you got someone there to look at. You know what I mean? <laughs> if yeah. things are going bad, <laughs> you, know? you know the thing where it's we're all and not we're not always willing to admit this, but you know you're you're human, you're flawed, you're you're full of. We all have emotional issues. Like there's some. I mean, I don't think I've ever met a person who didn't have any. Most yeah. some people have less than have others, but we all have these things. And I I noticed that like a lot of my students. Because I think they, they, a lot of them look at me as a father figure, right? Sure. Yeah. So I I play that role. I never asked for it, but you that's the second you yeah. sign up to be a coach or a gym owner, or, you know, just a teacher. Yeah. Or even call yourself just like someone who teaches jujitsu. You're immediately signed up for that position. Yeah. And I notice that sometimes I'll say something to one of them, and like their eyes fill up with tears. Like it means so much to them. I'm like shit, man. And then it's it's easy to forget, but I remember. I think what if I were like 15 or 16 and my coach spoke, said something like that to me, I think that would have been a game changer. Because I remember things that people told me when I was like 16, 17, and it like light bulb moment, like it changed because I trusted that person so much. Like that guy in my head was such a badass that whatever he said was gospel truth. It was like, I believe you. Yeah. Right? So like as a coach, we have that power. I forget I have that power sometimes. Sometimes it's like, okay, just go train and shut up, you know. But sometimes just telling people right before a match something that they need to hear. Like sometimes, it could be something simple. It's like, hey, man, you're going to be fine. You train hard. You're going to kill it out there. 
Sometimes that for people is just, that's like that extra fuel that they needed. Because walking in there confident and insecure, or it's, I think it's as important as the technique itself, man. I've seen tons of people very well prepared, but deep down, technically and physically, right? But deep down emotionally, they were um, just like, I just like, they're not there. Yeah. You know? No, they're uninvested. Not yeah. having the emotional. Uh, Fortitude to yeah. withstand competition. You can't be a competitor without it. Yeah. You know, it's like having a, a machine with no soul, or like a person with no soul. Yeah. Like they have everything on paper, but there's something quantifiable that, that's missing. I actually, I would argue that that perhaps is even more important than everything else. I'll tell you why. I've seen mediocre people with not that skilled, but they had so much fire and so much confidence and they went out there and they... That made up for everything else, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because when you have that heart and you're like emotionally put together and you got in your head you're going to win, you got a good network behind you, when it comes down to it and you're really tired, you push that extra round like no problem. You go that extra minute. Whereas if you walk in there half defeated, the second things get hard, you go, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to fight. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. It's funny because me and Dave were talking about right before we started, like, what are we going to talk about? And we're like, there's not a lot going on in the fight world, is there? And they're like, no, fight. And we spent like a good five minutes talking about, figuring out what we're going to talk about. And we agreed that we're going to talk about uh, condition. Yeah, strength and conditioning for fighting. <laughs> we always go on tangents. End up talking about completely, unre- I mean, not completely unrelated, but. It's a you important know. topic. Yeah, it is, it is because I. You don't see, I mean, think about how many instructionals are out there for technique. Yeah. And now try to make, not an instructional or write a book about the emotional aspect of fighting. And people will laugh at you. Like, what? No one's going to read it. We have one. So the one my brother actually made, it's called Black Belt Psychology. Okay. And, uh, so read it, don't, you know, guys. I'm serious because this <laughs> yeah. is a huge yeah. part of the equation. And like most people completely, they like technique, 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 you know. Yeah, and it's pretty much every fighter on our team has to read the book. Yeah. They go through it. And it What's it, it called again? Black Belt Psychology. Is it on Amazon? Uh, no, no, we have it on the website. Uh, okay. You go FFA Coach, Trying to plug Dave you here, Avalon. bro. Give the website, yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah, yeah, You go to my blog, David Avalon. You'll, you'll see it there. Okay. But um, it goes over the fight process that me and my brother have used for all of our yeah. fights and all of our competitors. And it talked about these things, but what, what we were talking about specifically was the will to live pretty much, right? Yeah. The will to win. And that is more important than everything else, as you said, because you could be outmatched in both technique yeah. and strength, but if you are not gonna lay down for anybody, then that guy has to be able to put your way. And at a certain point, you know, people have what they call finisher's anxiety, right? When you get close to finishing somebody and then, like, they don't go down, you start like, oh, what the hell is going on? That breaks yeah, you. That, that can break when they people. realize that yeah. they're not breaking. Yeah, like, you're not breaking. And I just put everything I had into that. Yeah. Uh-oh, am I in trouble now? You know what I mean, like, that happens yeah. to people all the time. Oh, yeah. Especially if they're doing something very tough, like a triangle choke, and they squeeze, yeah. and they put everything into it, and then the yeah. guy gets out and laughs at them and punches you in the face. <sighs> yeah. They're like, oh, crap, I just pissed him off. You know, I didn't even make this guy hurt. But this is why body language is so important. Yeah. Because if you give that away, if I see you frustrated, I know I won. Yeah. Like, and you can tell when someone's frustrated, man. It's hard to hide it. Because your you know, body language is something that's your mind speaking through your arms for your facial expressions. So it's like a skill to keep that poker face on no matter what. 
how you feel, how tired you are, how frustrated you may be, can't show it because it boosts, it does something to your, your opponent's, you know, um, will. Like it does something to his confidence. I, I've felt it. Like you have to sign someone in side control. Yeah. And then you can just go, as soon as you pass, you go, <sighs> just go like that. You're like, yes, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, he's settling the position, right? Yeah. The guy's freaking out. Like always tell people, when you pass the guard, just hold it. Because once they stop moving around, They've allowed the position to settle. Yeah. They have conceded. Yeah. And one of the things is, like, when the, we first grapple each other, and I'm top of you, you're like, this guy can't pass my guard. Yeah. And you have a concept in your mind that is written in stone, can't pass guard. And if I'm able to sit past your guard, now I've broken that. And now that shakes your, your confidence. Yes. You're, now you're like, what else am I wrong about now? Yes. I get the mouth. It's like, well, I guess I was wrong about that too. And it's just like a domino. I find like if I can pass the guy's guard once, I can pass it twice, three, four, five times. You know, like it's, I've already shattered that barrier. Yeah. You know? So that's part of like that will. Like I know I've grappled with some guys that they just will not let you pass a guard no matter what. Like it's. Go honor. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like an honor thing. Like they, yeah. it's like slapping their mother if yeah. they were able to pass their guard, yeah. and they fight it, yeah, tooth and nail. And you need to be about that for everything. Uh-huh. So I, I remember in wrestling, you'd have guys like you said you would break them. Like my brother and I, we trained. We were not very technical. We we're not really strong at the time. You know, we just had a lot of stamina and a lot of will to win. So it was always about breaking people. So we're just trying to cardio people out. Yeah. And just push a really hard pace. And like you said, like the moment you hear that guy <laughs> and breathing hard and you're yeah. relaxed, you're like, okay, it, the end's coming now. Yeah. Now I'm going to start breaking you. But there's a, you'll run into guys that they don't break either. You know and then it's like, okay, now it's about hurting people now. Right? Yeah. Now we're just going to see who's, who's tougher than the other one. There was a, I noticed that like people who have that, there's like a, an exterior, a shell of confidence, right? Because they've never, it's like the bully. Who's never been beat up? Yeah, and then they come to jujitsu and they get beat up. Man, that guy's either gonna rise above or he's never gonna come back. And they mo- normally don't come back because it's it's too com- like what? I'm not invincible. I'm not that strong. Confidence can be very fragile too, man. If you're used to winning, this is why we're losing is so important. Everyone's like, you don't want to be a loser. I think losing is super important. It's at, it's it's the two sides of the same coin. That's how I refer to it now. Like you yeah. need both because losing makes you tough. The problem is when you lose and quit. Yeah. I made this argument the other day on that. Um, I, I did a TEDx the other day. I don't know if you... If you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and like, there's yeah. some overlapping with what we're talking about. But, uh, you know, it's not like we're talking about like anxiety and depression. I don't think that losing causes depression. I'm a critic of the culture of the participation medal, giving someone a medal yeah. for losing. Because, oh, the child is going to be sad and cry. I'm like, so? Yeah. frustrated, anxiety, crying, upset. Yeah, that's life. It's called life. You're going to deal with it sooner or later. you got to give it to children in small doses. Yeah. So when they reach adulthood, they're not sheltered, and then they get a big dose of it, and they can't handle it, and that's what leads to depression. Yes. Losing is not going to cause that. Losing is going to make you tough, right? And you have to it's, – it's almost like your immune system. You train your immune system with some germs. Like you don't overwhelm a newborn. Yeah. You don't let it play in the garbage, right? But if it puts something in its mouth – it's because it's necessary. It's, it's training its immune system, right? These things are important. You got to balance it out. I, I, I think this this whole thing people have about like not losing, they're too scared of failing. Like it's so detrimental to them. Yeah. Like you got to throw yourself out there. So what? And someone who's overconfident, perhaps because they were sheltered their whole life, right? 
you're like, I'm good. I never lose. I'm awesome. I got every tournament I went, I got a medal. Right? So they have that. And then so they're confronted with a real challenge. They break. Yeah. You know? It's funny because my brother and I had opposite experiences when we started competing. I think we talked about it before, but my brother... He lost We've his... talked about everything on this podcast yeah. <laughs> before. Me and David solved the world's problems many times over. <laughs> well, we'll recap. My brother lost his first 11 wrestling matches in a row, yeah. and I won my first 11 in a row. But he started off as a varsity. I started off as JV. So obviously yeah. the level of competition was very different. But it made him very tough yeah. because he had to deal with so much loss very early. Yeah, And uh, to a certain point, he looked like he got out there and the goal is just to make that guy hurt. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, I might lose, but the guy's going to remember me. And he had this big old head, so he'd like headbutt people. And you know, people were leaving with broken noses and yeah. bloody uh, mouth and stuff like that. So that became a part of his thing, you know. And uh, that's just one way I see it. Like, if even I know I'm going to lose against somebody, that's my attitude. Like, you're gonna remember this one. You're not gonna enjoy yes. it. You know, you'll you'll yes. win, but it's gonna suck for you. That you know there's I mean? there's something Spartan <laughs> about it, like that the theme, the three hundred theme, right? Like that's the lesson. Like that 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 story is not as I mean, it's a movie. Obviously, it's very yeah. inaccurate. But like, there's something about the theme of you know putting that last fight before you go. Oh shit! I just watched something. A friend of mine recommended uh, the Gray. The Gray. Okay. Have you seen, seen it? It's great. I thought like all right. I think I was gonna like it, dude powerful if you haven't seen it watch it's called the gray with uh liam neeson okay and there's a there's a theme in there there's something that one of the the, the characters mentions it's called the swan song so there's an it's an ancient uh, i had to google i didn't know this there's an ancient uh, part of greek mythology where uh, a swan right before it died it sung its most beautiful song it knew it was going to die so it sung the most beautiful song it ever sung its whole life and then it kaput right done and but the movie that's the theme of the movie yeah and if you're gonna go down may it be with you know 300 thermopylae battle you know yeah. you're gonna go out put up put up that most beautiful fight you've ever put up there's a beautiful poem in that film what's it once more into the fray till the last the best fight we have ever fought live and die another day Live and die another day, or something like that. Can't remember the quote verbatim, the, the poem verbatim, but that was a theme. But there's something about that. Like if you know, even if you know you're going to lose, bring it. You know, I think that right there is, in some circumstances, might be more noble. There might be more merit there than the person who won, because sometimes you're completely outnumbered. Oh, 300, Thermopylae yeah. battle. Case in point, there is no chance they're going to win. But fuck, what a fight that was, yeah. right? So what is that? Who's the real winner? Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of merit. Even in losing, there can be a lot of merit so long as it's it's challenging. You know, like it's especially if there's something unequal about it. Like if you're outmatched, right? If you're going against someone who's technically superior. So, for example, you're going against a guy in the gym who's like four levels above you, but you still put up a hell of a fight. And I see this every now and then. I'll be rolling with the blue belt, purple belt, and Dave, they're they're hunting for my neck. Yeah. And Ash was like, there's a part of me that goes, you little sh- disrespectful little shit. <laughs> but that's a smaller part. The bigger part of me goes, admires him. He's like, this guy wants a piece of me, man. And I, and I get where he's coming from. It's not out of ego. He's not trying to be arrogant. It's just that he wants, yeah. you know, he wants to, you, he, does, he doesn't want to be easy prey. Yeah. Know? And my brother, used, he actually writes this in the book. He calls this the crystal ball. So he says he'll go to, he'll ask his, you know, athletes. Let's say I have a crystal ball and I'm able to read 
the future. Yeah. And you're about to compete tomorrow. And I look in this crystal ball. I go, Robert, I have bad news for you. You're losing your first match. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I was questioning, are you still going to compete? Yes. You have to. Yeah, the correct answer is you should. Yes. I don't know. The real answer may be like, fuck this. I'm going to save my money. <laughs> exactly. Nowadays, yeah, it's $300. Like, oh, man. I don't know. That's a car payment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's the point, right? Like, yeah. so if you're still going to fight, you're not fighting to yeah. win anymore, right? Yeah. You're, you're fighting because... For fight's sake. Yeah. And that's the whole point. We're going there to prove something. And proving, yeah. a lot of us think, or from the outside, it's about winning. No, no, no. You want to see what you're made of. Yeah. Right? And if, if I was going to lose, they told me I was going to lose, I want to know how I lost. Right? Like, how was that even yes. possible? Yes. Right? Yes. In my mind, I'm undefeatable. I, yes. I want to see this guy who could actually beat that's, me and how he's going to do it. Because, like you said, that's the only way I'm going to get better. Yes. If I never compete, then I never knew the weakness that I have. Yeah. That's the that's a very powerful theme, man. Like, but we're well, I mean, we, the thing is, we're obsessed with this theme that we call success, right? success, winning, winning, and then like, what do you even mean by success? Because a lot, I, I mean, I want the success, but I want the iron price. Yeah. I had this conversation the other day, and I was like, I, I wasn't born rich, but I'm kind of happy that I wasn't, and I mean this sincerely. Like, I, I'm I don't I'm not rich, but like, I make more than I need. Like, I live a good life. Like, I. I will, you know, I plan on leaving something for my children. But I'm proud of that, that I had to build my way up. And most people are like, no, I wish I were born rich. I wish I was handed to me. I don't think there is any, there's no, there's no merit there. Like, where do you grow? How do you learn these important lessons when you have everything handed to you? Like, if you're a phenomenal athlete, in some ways it's to your detriment. Because, you know, when you're that talented, things come easier for you. I, I really believe that. Like, I think th- I take more the merit of the grind as the, the, the that's the true victory I, I value that more than the medal itself i didn't think that way 20 years ago but like i, I look at it this way now like there are more important things that you're going to learn along the way that are very significant for your personal growth yeah there the, and like you said there's how would you say i'm not sure like the moral value of somebody who is a millionaire that was born to billionaire parents versus somebody who was grinded and then yes. he came out of the enemy right he's obviously had to learn more and yeah. be able to push himself more you know so like if you start higher then yeah. the bar technically for you should be even higher like if yes. you were born a millionaire now the goal is to be a billionaire now right like you got to make bigger moves otherwise yeah. you wasted because the whole thing is like if you whatever you hand down to your children ideally they're able to multiply it yeah. right they, they should be better than you you know and, they should be able to move beyond you and if you didn't prepare them for that then you failed them. you fail as a parent yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, uh, you know Nietzsche really admired um, Bonaparte Napoleon because you know he saw him as a truly great man and he's not talking about what he did and I, I, I see what he's saying I agree with him I don't have to admire what you actually did but the ambition man holy shit yeah. and that I mean the, the merit that he went from foot soldier to emperor of Europe now let that sink in Talk about merit. How do you go from foot soldier to emperor of Europe in a lifetime? Yeah. That's, I mean, most people, I mean, I, I think about it. It's truly impressive. It, I, I was just thinking about this, like Carlos Gracie. Like, I, had, I don't admire his, I, I don't, between me and I don't think he was a good person. I think he's, he's the beginning of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There's no doubt. It's not my head. It's Carlos Gracie. There's no way around it. Carlos, boom, beginning year one or year zero, Carlos Gracie. Right? Split from judo. Starts with him. I don't admire his life. So, I mean, get into his personal life, it gets uglier and uglier. But, man, the ambition. Pretty bold when you think about it. Pretty bold. You know, like you start admiring these things. And 
I I, I think these I think that, that this that this crafting is ultimately you know a bigger prize than you know the medal the win or the money because you know when you think about it and this again it's overlapping with my talk but it's still fresh in my mind you know you, you don't take the the medal when you're gonna win a medal how long does that last that high two yeah. or three days you feel like you're Superman and then what it's gone yeah, it's fleeting. gone it's gone but when you when you grow and you transform yourself and you learn a hard lesson right and you become better because of that that's forever right so what's the real win what's the real treasure Right. Um, there's, um, I think it was in that uh, Orson Welles film, uh, Mr. Arkadin. There's an opening quote, and it goes like this um, Poet meets a king. A king invites a poet to his court, and the king asks, asks him this Out of all treasures I have, you choose anything. Take anything I have, it's yours. And the poet goes, Give me anything except your secret. To accept the secrets of success is what he's like. like so, like, I want the grind. Like, you can give me, I, don't, it's, I don't even care about what you're going to give me. What I really want is the lesson of the journey, right? That's the, I think that's the, what the poet meant by that. Like, that's yeah. what I value the most. I think a lot of people miss out on that. They're focused on the, what's right now, the house, the money, the fame, the medal. It's like, dude, there's a lot of merit that goes around to getting that that you're missing out on. Yeah, they're just looking at the symbol. You know? Yeah. Like, I have met, like... Most of my medals got thrown away by accident, apparently, or someone stole them. I had a... <laughs> my brother, we had them all at the gym. And this just shows you how much, how little we cared about our medals. It must have been like a hundred or something medals. Yeah. They were all in the garbage bag. Yeah. And I think he was just putting them because yeah. he was moving around. And I think somebody threw them out because it was on the garbage. Yeah. And there weren't all the medals. I had like two medals now. Like yeah. My ADCC bronze, yeah. and then I have one Grapplers Quest thing. And they're in a box somewhere out of nowhere, right? Like, I, I, but people are like, oh, but it was a gold medal, or right? like I would hang it, and you're not gonna look at it every day. No, you're not. You're gonna. No. It's gonna Dude, be on the wall. And, more time goes yeah. by, the less they mean. Like I, I was just in Brazil now, and I, like all of a sudden, I remembered like, where are my medals? <laughs> no. And I'm sort of there's a chat group with my old students. I'm like, Rob, you've never cared about this for 15 years. What is this now that you care? I'm like, I want to find my medals, and like it's with so and so, like basically. Two weeks later, a finger pointing because no one knew where the medals were. They finally <laughs> found it was at someone's ex-girlfriend's house or something oh like that. There's a box full of my medals there. And I got them. There's a ton of medals missing. Like maybe half of them are there, but whatever. Yeah. So I was going to bring them back to the U.S. I'm like, ah, that's going to take a lot of stuff in my suitcase. Like, you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of room. No, I just left there at my best friend's house in Brazil and it's there. But it was nice to see them. But like it brought back memories. But that's, see, it was the memory that I valued. Yeah. When I saw the medal, it was like, oh, I remember this term. I forgot about it. This is I fought so and so this day. We had to. We this happened on the trip and on the way back. We did this, this, and that. And that was what I was valuing the most. Yeah, it was, exactly. It's a, it's a symbol. Yeah. It's a representation, the memory. Yeah. But if I give that to you, it means nothing. Yeah. It's just a shiny token. Yeah. You know what I mean? That you didn't have a story yeah. associated with it. It's like when someone gets a black belt too easy. Same thing. Like, yeah. Why do you want something you're not going to value, bro? You want it to be hard. Like that's what's gonna that's what you're gonna take with you. It's not I mean, I can tie a belt around your waist right now. It's gonna make you feel happy for a second, but not proud. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that's why we have the gauntlets and there's these trials. Like people there's a system in play when you do these hierarchies and whatnot. And like like you said, nobody just gets a belt. There's a test or there's a, a gauntlet, there's a trial yeah. or something. 
it's for a reason. Yeah. It's because you're not, if I just go, oh, you know what? You're a blue belt now. Here you go. You're like, oh, really? Like, I didn't have to do anything? It's, you know? I, I will. It's like, but if I told you to get the blue belt, okay, after you've trained for like four years, now we're going to put you to the test and yeah. you're going to do all this rolling and then you're going to go to the valley. It's going to be really tough. And then you get it. Like you said, now there was a grind for it. You know? Yeah. And that makes it a lot more redeeming and then you have like a bond ship and like a, a, a brotherhood now because you know everybody else who got that blue belt yeah. also went through that thing and they're all oh, and then you all share your stories oh when i went to the gauntlet this freaking guy smashed me or whatever you know like yeah but that's the purpose behind it right there has to be a struggle you know if, if there wasn't a struggle behind it then like you said it has less value you know it's just like eh. there's um i was just reading about this recently like there's this um there was this con. There was this. Um, it was a concept in ancient Greece called agon, which translates as contest or struggle. It was meant to be a contest amongst equals, so we're equally matched. We go to war, and that is good. They saw that as goodness, right? Because conflict was not something that's frowned upon. Today we go, no conflict. Everyone's a winner. No hierarchies. Everything is flat, right? Just like, it's like that. It's like we're striving for mediocrity. They didn't see it that way. The Greeks looked at something. Like, greatness is important. There's beauty, and the, there's an aesthetic. It's aesthetic to to win, to 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 rise above, and you need an equal for that. You need an enemy. You need an opponent, right? So they saw that right there as an a value. There was value in conflict because conflict made you better, which is exactly what our experience in the gym tells us, right? We have you have someone who's your rival in the gym, not necessarily. You know, social or emotional rival, but like rival as like this is the guy, best guy in the gym, yeah. and you're trying to beat him every day. That's good. That right there is good because that's what's going to make both of you guys better. I feel like martial arts, especially I think wrestling. I think I said this before. I think wrestling more than other martial arts has kept that alive in in a world where that sort of mindset is dying. Like I think where we're that right there is not. It is not, it is not, in, people don't see competition and hierarchies as good things anymore. I don't think they're good. You know, we have to, we have to, we have to value. But as long as it begins, competition amongst equals. So it doesn't really translate well into all spheres. But when it comes to physical, the gym is one of those few environments where you can actually witness this firsthand and you see people grow with it. They become stronger, they become, you know, better people. Um, I just, I just love it, man. Like I, um, I've seen what it's done for people that were socially awkward, shy, you know, socially retarded. And me yeah, too. Okay, since we're at it, I checked those too, man. You know, I, I, mean, I think it's funny because martial arts draws that. You know, it yeah. draws a lot of the, that type because I think they see it as like this. This is the vehicle for me to improve. This is how I'm going to stop being this awkward teenager. I'm going to be someone from something better. Martial arts does that. Again, I think wrestling does it more than jujitsu, and you guys can stop following me, get angry at me, talk shit. You're a traitor. It's true because they're they're tougher. Like jujitsu's, it's been infected, it's been poisoned by by economics. Like you have to lower the level because you'll lose half your students if you don't. And at the end of the day, you got bills to pay, yeah. right? And wrestling, wrestling coach doesn't give a shit. You know why? The state pays him. He don't give a fuck. <laughs> you don't like me, okay? off the team you know yeah. like they don't give a shit they can train you hardcore all the time and it, i think it breeds some of the toughest people i've met in fighting came i mean the toughest people i've met came in fight came from wrestling like every single one of them is strong-minded yeah it's you know it's one of the things that if you're not familiar with the sport 
at least when I was in, in high school, there was no cuts. Yeah. They cut you by making you quit. I remember when the first Oh, wow, day, I like that. The, the, the first day when we got there, yeah. there was like 60 people in the mats. And like you, people were like, you know, butt to butt, you yeah. know, just trying to get around, jogging around the mat to warm up. After a couple of weeks, it was like 15 people. And it's just because everybody saw how tough the training was. Like, yeah, no, that's not for yeah. me. I'm out. Selection. You know? So yeah. at the end of the season, in my senior year, there was like four people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our coach maybe trained us too hard. <laughs> yeah. Killed everybody else out of it. But it's what makes you tough, right? So like when there's no selection criteria as far as like, you know, cutting people, then you just make it as physically difficult as possible. So those are the minds of the people that you get from wrestling. It's like grinding. And even then, if you want the varsity spot, it's a wrestle off. You have to fight for that spot. And, you know, and you, you could challenge, I forget what the frequency they would do the wrestle-offs, but I remember I had to do one, and my brother had to do one, and you know. Yeah. You, so there is definitely conflict, and you had that guy, like, and I know the guy I'm going to wrestle off with, I'm like, well, I'm yeah. sizing him up now, like, this is the guy I got to beat. You know, but at the end of the day, when we talked about, when you were coming back, when you are saying, what's success, or what's winning? I think it's relative, right? Yeah. We think of winning what we define as, oh, okay, who scores the most points, who gets to win? But really, to me, what winning should be is getting better, right? And you can get better and lose, right? So, you normally improve more when you lose. Yeah. That's the truth of the matter. Because you got more to learn. Yes. Like if I win by just throwing, you know, one combination and knocking you out. You didn't learn anything. I didn't learn anything. Uh, maybe I learned, hey, I hit good. You know? I, <laughs> I got, got a good left hook. Good hook. <laughs> and my coach's plan was great. Yeah, All right, but yeah. it's just like a affirmation. Yes, affirmation. Right? It feels great. It feels great, yeah, because you, that means you did everything right, right? You prepared, coach was good, you did everything right, great job. But you don't build skill from it, right? You just affirm that what you did was right. As a loser, though, you're like, man, I need to work on my head movement. Yeah. I need to you know, get better footwork. I need to be able to evade this. So there's skills to improve upon. And that's why it's, I think it's harder as a champion you know, to continue winning because if you're dominantly destroying people, you're not getting much feedback you know, as far as like what things you can do better. Whereas if you're the people challenging, you're getting to see everybody else's mistakes and loopholes yeah. and be like, okay, this is the vulnerability they didn't expose that I can come in there and do it. It's just like I think our outlook on it is what's incorrect. We we look at, you know, and, and when people when you say this, losing is good, people think that, oh, it's okay if you're a loser. Like, it's not no. what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to explain to people. Like, it's, there's value in struggle. It is struggle that is the win. As long as there's struggle, there's growth, and there's winning and growing. When you only win, it's probably because you're not in a contest of equals to begin with. Because <laughs> if you're in an environment where there's in a contest of equals, so chances are you're yeah. going to lose. Now, you get the exceptional. Every, once in a blue moon, you get a, a Kale Sanderson or a Satiev. You're going to get a Michael Phelps. That happens once in a blue moon. You get someone who's exceptional, right? That happens. But for the most part, if you're throwing yourself out, you're going to win. You're going to lose. And I, that the struggle itself is the win. Yeah. yeah. And being able to overcome the disappointments and yeah. stuff like that, that's what takes the emotional intelligence. And you should be disappointed. That's the yeah. thing. People think, oh, you should not be disappointed. Like, no, you should, but you should use that. Yeah. That's fuel. Like, it's not bad as long as you channel it. Just don't use it to quit. Use it to grow stronger, you know? The, the emotions <laughs> are there for a reason, yeah. right? And I think uh, someone broke it down once. Emotion is energy and motion, right? So it's like... Yeah. You're supposed to direct it. 
to a certain place. You're not supposed to sit in it and dwell in it. You know, if you sit on anger for long, it's going to ruin you. It's like sitting in depression or whatnot. The idea is that you're angry. Okay, now how can we channel that anger and move it into a way that will motivate us to be better? Right? Like if you take control of what you feel and direct it, it becomes that motivating force. That's why some people work well with negative reinforcement. It's not for everybody. I don't personally like it, but some people do because they know how to channel it that way. Or when they hear the crowd talking crowd, like, oh, that's when they get riled up. They don't do as good when the crowd's for them. You know, they want to be the underdog. It's all about learning how to channel these emotions. You know, but people like saying, oh, you should never be sad. You should never be happy. You should never be like like Buddhist type thing. And yeah. to me, it's like, well, then you're not going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no, you're already content, which I guess yeah. great. You hit enlightenment, but now your life's over. It's you boring. know how uh, Nietzsche referred to a Buddhism? He called it a sanitized philosophy. Mm. Because it's so clean and void of anything that's human. There's no dirt on it. It's just like so, oh, happy and perfect. It's like, no, give me some noise, man. You know, And I, I, you, you understand what he's meaning. He's like, yeah. you, you need the conflict. Like, yeah. that's who we are. Like, and yeah. you shouldn't avoid that. Like, you shouldn't be like, what? I mean, imagine if you were enlightened and completely at peace with everything. Like, everything made you happy. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I, I mean. You wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't do, you, exactly. Yeah. You'd be like living under a bridge and you'd be like starving and you'd be happy because you're meditating and you're somewhere else in your head. I don't know. I'm not enlightened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean, from a distance, I'm not sure I'd, I want to be like, you know, with, with, where's that? How do you win jujitsu tournaments when you have that mindset? Like, it's okay. No matter what happens, everything's okay. There's no, I mean, there's no, there has to be some kind of internal struggle. And then, and that struggle comes from desiring things. Yes, right? yes. You, you want something, and there's a, there's something in your way. That's the struggle, getting through that to get there. But if you have no desires, then you don't have any struggles because you already got everything you needed, which is nothing. Yeah. So if I, in, in my mind, if you're wrong, maybe I, we could be wrong. But from my understanding, if everybody's Buddhist, then, you know, we'll be in one the generation age. and we're done. We would be in the Stone Age. <laughs> yeah. It's because at some point, some... Some ape-looking creature saw, like, what's over that hill over there? I want to find out what's on top of that hill. And then he finds a stick and a rock. And, like, what if I can put these two together and do something new? You know, like, I think that there's, there's ambition is, plays a huge role in, in human life. I think we need to balance it out. Like, at some point, it can be reckless, too. Like, dude, you know, there's, I think there's something as harmful ambition. And then you got to look around you, too. If you're one of those guys, you're going to do things just for yourself and realize you're a wrecking ball of, every, of the world and everything around you. That's not healthy. This is why, to me, the gym is such a such an important place to be. It's it's such because there you can you can be ambitious, you can be violent and aggressive, not in 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 a, in a way that's not hurting people, but like I could try to take you down and be violent about. It. I'm going to try to pick you up and slam you, and you're going to be pissed off at me. But deep down, you're like, all right, motherfucker, I'm going to get you back now. And then it is it is an outlet for that which is already in us anyway. Yeah. If that it's you're already you're you're man you're an angry gorilla in there. If you don't find an outlet for that, it often goes in a way that is actually very harmful to to people around you. And it's it's not healthy to yourself. It's not healthy to others. Like I I don't believe in violence on out out there. I was just like I'm for the most part I don't I don't like wars. I don't think they're, they're we should be able to talk these things out. But the gym is the place to express that. Like if there's a place if there ever were a place that were created to express that aggression. Yeah. Especially men have it more than women. We're naturally aggressive. High testosterone levels kept us alive for hundreds of thousands of years. 
You may like it, may not like it, but it's there. The gym is the place to express that. You know, it's just like acknowledging your history and where you came from and pretending that there isn't differences between, you know, men and women or oh just God, how, no. how we're supposed to be. You know, like you said, like yeah. violence is part of life. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when they, they try to... I know some people go, for example, vegan for yeah. dietary reasons. Yeah. And I believe... There's an argument there. There's yeah. an argument there to be made that mm-hmm. there's some people that can't eat meat or they don't. So, yeah. okay, but for the most part, there's no ethical reasoning to me as far yeah. as not eating animal flesh. Yeah. Like, that's like telling a dog to go vegan. I think there was a celebrity that said they were going to put their dog. They went <laughs> vegan and they bring the dog a vegan. Like, that's animal cruelty. The it's, it's, not going to be yeah. eating tofu. <laughs> Poor <thing>. me. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, yeah. It, is, I mean, it probably hates it. You know? yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it won't starve. It will eat tofu if there's nothing else to eat, but it's not going to be happy. Yeah, it's like, yeah. would you get like a tiger and start yeah. feeding them like lettuce all day? Like, no, it would be silly. That's the same thing. You know, like, yeah. We're, we're it's just we're, not, we're in denial about our animal side. Right, and you know, I get that. I think some people are well meaning that you know they see animals and they're very empathetic to them and they yeah. see them now like as extensions of humans and like oh it's cruel to kill them but it's animals kill each other too but we're, we're going to tell all the animals yeah no you wouldn't do that to an animal guess what you're an animal I, you're I, just an animal that with more power I, I I'm not vegan I probably never will be um, I can empathize with their position not for health reasons because I don't think it's healthy I disagree yeah um but like the way animals are treated, I'm not against killing animals. They're pretty brutally treated. Like I could see an argument there. Like, okay, can we do well, something to be more humane about killing? That I agree with. Because I don't want to eat that either. Yeah. yeah. Like I, yeah. like I, I, I think hunting is more yeah. manlier too. Like there's something, there's something. But there's very, also the whole struggle and the whole there's, man, the story of oh, I went to you know Smiths and yeah. brought a steak. And yeah. I cooked it for my family versus I went out to freaking mm-hmm. Montana and I stocked this yeah. elk for like two weeks before I got it. And then I had to drag it in and butcher it. Yeah. That's a story. Like when you serve that food. There's no value. Yeah, it's just like, food. Yeah. You can feel a piece of your soul in there. Like yeah. man, that, that it means so much more than yes. I just went to the butcher shop and grabbed it. I have it. never hunted, but I, I, want, I would like to hunt one day and just like eat my own. Actually, I killed a rabbit with... At 22 once. <laughs> no, I'm not sure that counts. Did you eat I, it? I ate it, though. Okay, I mean, yeah, I, could, yeah, I didn't yeah. know how to skin. My friend had to do it. I had no idea how to skin a rabbit. But, like, he, it was all right. Tastes like chicken sort of thing. Yeah, it was all right. It was not bad. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. I mean, but, like, I, I could see some. And I'm, I don't believe in cruelty for um, purposeful cruelty. If, you, if you're cruel to a child to teach it a lesson, when I mean cruel, I mean, like, yeah. some kind of punishment, right, to teach him a lesson. I think there's value. But cruelty for cruelty's sake, no. But... I I'm not against you know I think you know eating meat is is part of our history it's you know at the end of the day you know I think that there's a lot of there's too much ideology not enough truth in people's way of looking at the world yeah like we're like, overwhelmed yeah. with ideology like that's way too much man like the whole I know you were going with that like like their dudes are becoming women and then they're going on to play in 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 women's leagues oh we talked about that, yeah, yeah it was crazy. like what the hell is going on here people i think joe rogan got in trouble for saying that he did, he did. We're, we're not as big as joe rogan so we should be okay <laughs> <laughs> but what the fuck but people but people believe that they go 
well, if I think I am, then I am, and okay, I'm gonna wait. What? Yeah, it doesn't. Quit. And I'm like, okay, you want to, you know, you could be whatever you want. I, if you want to dress up as, you know, you want to chop your your wiener off, like it's on you, man. Like, okay, I want to put legally, I want to be a woman. I, I should not against it. I'm like, okay, but you're barred from professional sports. Yeah. Like you, you can't. You, you can't it, but make it, other people play in your games, right? Like, yeah. and we all have games, you know. I mean, me and you beat each other up, and yeah, that's a silly game. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, but that's yeah. our thing. But it, it would be like, hey, everybody has to come with us yeah. and train. Like, no, it's you know, I don't have to play along in what you're doing. You know, and when you're asking yeah. people, especially in sports, where now we're talking about again, people's lives are at stake now, right? The whole Fallon Fox thing was ridiculous. Dude, it was, it was a thirty-eight-year-old guy that yeah. switched. It's not like there's arguments. I don't agree with them, but there are arguments like, oh, if you get them before puberty, and then mm-hmm. the bone density. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, I don't know. We're about getting, that, we're man. getting. Into the I'm environment. not buying it, but uh, I, I don't buy it. But whatever. There's an argument to be made. This dude was like thirty-seven or thirty-eight when he made the transition. There's nothing you can do to take away that advantage you already have. Did I tell you that she gave us a ride from the casino to the airport once? Alan Fox? Yes. Oh, no, <laughs> I didn't know. Wow. I was cornering James McSweeney, and then we, I think we missed our ride to the airport. I was like, I'll drive you guys. So she drove us to the airport. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> I found out later. Like He had to tell me, like, you know who that is. I'm like, no clue. But, yeah, it's a huge advantage. Because it's not just like, oh, but I think the argument goes if their testosterone levels are low, then they're on par with women like you dummies. I'm no physiologist and no endocrinologist, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot more going on in the human yeah. body this than testosterone. just testosterone. Testosterone is an element in the equation. You can even make an argument. It's the most important one. Okay, I wouldn't know. Muscle fiber density. Lung capacity. Lung capacity. Bone, density, s- bone yeah. density. The size of your heart, like red and blood the, cells. The, the frame, your, your bone frame and all that. Yeah. There's so much going on, guys. Yeah. There's so much more going on. Yeah. I don't know where it's gonna end, um, but it's shit's gone crazy for sure. Yeah, and we're, and then the whole thing is we're trying to make a level playing field, but then you're allowing people to switch around. And it's the same people making those. You're, we were talking about equality, and then you pull that shit off. I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how to come back from that. Like, how do you even? Yeah. I'm just. I, the other day, a friend of mine, Simeon Art. Some of this is just insane. Um, this. This um, I, I can't remember if it was a student that got kicked out of the classroom or if it was a professor that got fired. I, I, I can say the article. I, I didn't chase up the, the source, but apparently got kicked out of the classroom for saying that men can't get pregnant. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up, Dave. Like, it's, I, it, it, I know that it's a true thing. No, it's like, I, I had to get a COVID test. By the way, it came out good, so I went. <laughs> no, but like... That was negative. Yeah. But on the test, it asks you, what gender were you born in? Are you pregnant? What gender do you identify as? I remember my mom, because she had to do one also, she was laughing like, well, <laughs> if I answered male, I couldn't possibly be pregnant. Could yeah. I? You know, but I don't know. Maybe you could. I, I, I want to do it just to <laughs> fuck with people one day, like male and pregnant, just to see if anyone's going to notice. Like, how do you, how do you, I, I don't know, like, it's just... This is something I always wonder. Like, what are the absurdities of the present that future historians will like just look at, look back, and go, "What were you guys thinking?" Because we can look back at things like slavery and go, "Like, how on earth do you justify something yeah. like that?" Like to us, it's so, it so sounds so absurd. Like going back, what you're gonna kidnap someone, put them in chains, and make them work for you for free for their whole life, and when their children are born, they got to do the same. That's a pretty insane concept yeah. when you think about it's it, right? Horrific. Yeah. yeah, it's horrific. But it's how do you justify that? 
And I wonder if like 200 years from now, people are going to look back and they're going to go, wait, what? You guys thought that, that you know, the, 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 like these guys could play sports with women and get away with it and men like someone got kicked out of a classroom for saying that men can't get pregnant like this is the absurdity of our time and it flies as you know political correctness it flies as you know it's i wish it were and the world's going to be better this way if it is so i want it to be so therefore we have to make it that way it's just weird because on one hand we're supposed to be believing science but then on the other hand we're Denying science. Fiercely anti-scientific. And, yeah. and we're denying yeah. science in the name of not offending people. Yeah. Right? So it's like, we're, we're, and, and again, why we're afraid to, to offend people? Because people are afraid of the truth. The truth yeah. is hurtful. Are we, yeah. and we're, or what, they yeah. can't handle the, the truth of their situation? I don't know. It, it's making, like you say, it's making very fragile people. Yeah. People that are living in bubbles that they're worried that you're going to pop a bubble. So now we... That's where I feel it kind of normalizes everything, right? Yeah. Like, and it's a kind of a scary trend, you know, like how far do you go yeah. with like these weird things that are going on? I don't know. It's crazy. It is. And, and the fact that, you know, what's the name of that study? I think it's from the 70s, 80s, that it predicted that technology was going to build on itself. And it was like a snowbox. It was like a curve, right? It went like that. Yeah. We're at the top of that curve and we have no idea how high the ceiling is. But oh. I think we're reaching a breaking point at some, at least we're, culturally. We're, 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 especially if you think technology. Uh, I read an article where they had, uh, I don't know if you heard of quantum processing. It's the like, new computers are not binary yeah, anymore. Yeah. You're talking about computers that yeah, can... Yeah, so like yeah. essentially binary computers are ones one that we're used zero. to, one yeah. is zero. Yeah. Quantum has three states, or I think maybe four, if I'm not mistaken. And... That opens up so much possibilities as far as processing, but they were saying there was a math problem on a conventional binary computer would yeah. take it's like something like a million years. It was some ridiculous amount of time, and it takes minutes in a quantum processor. It's like the computational power of how much to think of process is ridiculous. You know, so now when we talk about AI on a quantum thing, it's going to be like there's going to be no way we could compete with that. You know, this is is going well beyond anything we can fathom. There's, um, People have a hard time. I have a hard time studying quantum physics to begin with. Dude, I, I, I can't. I try to say, wait, that makes no sense. We, we, just, we just lack the intelligence for it. I think it's beyond the scope of our intelligence. I'm an engineer. Someone recommended me a book. It was called uh, by, um, it's, it's, a, it's a Polish name. His last name is Bauman. He's a Polish anthropologist. I believe he's a professor in England. Might have died recently. I can't remember. He's really old. It's called Liquid Times. He talked about modernity. Like how fast the world's changing, liquid times because you can't really put your hands on anything. Like it's just liquid. When you in the fifties, sex sixties, like you knew you work a nine to five, you buy a house, you buy a car, you raise some kids, like two point five kids or whatever it is, yeah. like you know the picketed fence, and you you know you save money your whole life, you send your kids to college, and that was a good life. That was a stable life. Like if you played by the rules and you follow those rules, it was concrete, right? Two thousand twenty one. What's concrete? Yeah. Well, okay, g give me a currency that's stable, Dave. Go. Give me a currency that's stable. Do you think the dollar is a current stable for the next 50 years? Would you, would you, would you, would you believe? I don't believe that. No, not for a second. What, what is it, Bitcoin? Or is it Chinese? The China's coming out with a new currency. You see that? Did you hold on to your Bitcoin? Huh? Did you hold on to your Bitcoin? Most of it. <laughs> I never. I, I every time I try to play Bitcoin, I get screwed. I don't. I don't touch that thing okay, anymore. I was say, I, I, otherwise you're good. Everyone got rich from it, but me. Okay. <laughs> but like China's got one now too. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be controlled by the Chinese uh, central bank. Yeah, nothing's gonna go wrong there. 
<laughs> I don't. But, but my point is like, yeah. it, my, I don't know. We don't know what the future is going to be like. Things are changing so quickly. Yeah, it's all liquid. Like you don't. What is secure? What is safe? What is what is the world going to look like twenty years from now? It is changing so quickly, and I think like a lot of the the excitement out there, like the fervor, like the the impulse is a reflex of a world that is going mad and doesn't realize it. No, I mean, this past year and it hasn't stopped. Yeah, people are like, oh, 2021 will be better. Like, oh, it's still kind of wonky. Yeah. <laughs> it's still kind of wonky. Yeah. You know, a lot of uncertainty. You know, a lot of people don't know what to expect next. You know, like, are we? Now they're saying there's mutants, trains, or we have to worry about this. It's like, oh, man, it's like a never-ending. No, that's it, just one aspect. That is the virus that is just exposing a much bigger problem. I yeah. think what the only thing that, I mean, viruses have been, pandemics have been a constant throughout human history. Yeah. hundred years from now, if we're still around, there's going to be another pandemic. It's just the way of the world. But I think what it did is exposed how confused and uneducated people are and how desperate they are and how panicky we can get and under like strife and like here's the thing man a pandemic is bad but there, there's a lot worse things that can happen like sure. it's a pandemic is bad but it can get a lot worse i don't yeah. think people realize that so this is where i'm going shit man girl it's it's, it's scary you know yeah. i I'm, I'm already like there's a part of me that's going fuck man is this like re- re- re-watching history here is this but um I, I think got to try to stay positive, keep hopeful, work hard, keep your head down, yeah. do your part, and try to be honest while you live your life. And it's, it's about as much as you can do. That's why I'm going to Tahiti. Son of a bitch. Hey, if, it gets, if it's nice over there, it gets crazy over here, don't come back, okay? Save me a spot over there. I'll go join you. But it's, uh, you know, man, I think we're, we're good for the next two more years at least <laughs> we go, I don't know man it's like this country's gonna explode any minute now <coughs> excuse me but uh, Dave I think that's our hour yes sir it is and I know you got an appointment this time it's Dave cutting it early not yeah, me yeah on me on me but uh, it was fun man uh, we will talk about strength and conditioning next time let's <laughs> <laughs> even touch on it alright love you guys thank you Peace. ciao thank you for tuning in I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, like, share, comment, all that good stuff that helps us get up on social media. And uh, if you need to get up-to-date information about the podcast, go ahead and visit BreakingTheGuard.com where we have a listing of all the episodes online, both on YouTube and the various podcast platforms. Final word from one of our sponsors is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is your destination to learn everything that Robert has to offer. And that is a lot. Make sure you go ahead and check it out. He has a bunch of course offerings there that you can check out. And they're all, again, like I've, I keep saying the same thing. It's important, right? And for me, when I moved to Vegas, the first place I came to train was Robert's gym. And uh, I actually did a seminar at his academy. And I got the chance to jump into one of the classes before the seminar. And I was very impressed with his instructional methods and techniques and how articulate he was and just overall an amazing instructor. Not to mention the guy's a beast on the mat as well. So he's a great pairing the two and the courses that he teaches are a great reflection of his ability to communicate vital information. So go ahead, check out DrysdaleBJJOnline.com and pick up a course today.